Welcome to the latest edition of NPM's podcast. Joining me today is Gary Blitz, Global Co-CEO for Aon's M&A and Transaction Solutions Group. Welcome to the program today, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Gary, you've been at Aon for uh, close to two decades, and you were recently appointed to the board at SEA. Uh, why don't you tell us about your work at Aon and how it intersects with the renewable industry? Sure, happy to. Uh, so the group I head up or co-head up at Aon is a global practice that uh, aims at facilitating transactions of many kinds, from M&A to project finance uh, and other financing transactions. Uh, we, we do a number of things ranging from diligence to support an acquisition, uh, whether it's insurance-related, benefits-related, cyber-related, and we work with a number of solutions that support transactions like rep and warranty insurance, known as warranty and indemnity insurance around the world, tax insurance, and litigation insurance. And, and where we come to the renewables industry is in several ways. We um, have been active for many years. Well, I mean, I actually did a renewable energy tax credit transaction in the 90, in the early 90s, but it, it kind of went quiet for 20-something years. And back in 2013, it, it became active again uh, as the, renew, the um, rooftop solar industry and the cash grants uh, were prevalent. And for that, we uh, took our tax insurance product, uh, which actually goes back to the first go round of transferability in the 1980s, uh, when there was an investment tax credit, you could transfer it through a uh, nominal sale leaseback. And we've used tax credit insurance over the last 10 years in many different ways to support tax equity investments, either protecting tax equity or um, backing up an indemnity being given by a developer. Uh, that, that's been our principal focus in this industry, but more and more over the last four or five years, we see other tools we have being brought to bear. For example, as projects are bought and sold, uh, the tool of rep and warranty insurance that's used actively in M&A, we're now seeing used actively uh, with the purchase and sale of projects. Interesting. Um, so... Let's talk about the Inflation Reduction Act uh, and how it relates to what you do as well. Um, obviously, the tax equity portion of these projects is going to, to change a little bit um, over structuring. Um, the new uh, legislation does allow for transferability to take place. Uh, it also allows, under certain circumstances, but limited, uh, direct pay, uh, depending on uh, the tax-exempt status of certain um, holders of the project, uh, as well as uh, for, for carbon capture projects. So, um, Gary, just if you could, um, first of all, again, give us a broader view of how Aon uh, services clients uh, that do tax equity for projects, that would be helpful and maybe just give us your view about how that might change under IRA because of the transferability and the other options that are out there in structuring these uh, projects. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting. I mean, what, what's been done with the IRA, I, I think, is huge. I think it opens up 
uh, tax equity investing or, or the equivalent of you know receiving it through a transfer to many many more investors and you know and expanding it to different types of technologies uh, it just gives us many more places to help clients uh, you know and I think we're already seeing a, a virtual explosion of activity across different technologies and and structures. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Many companies stayed away from traditional tax equity because of the complexity of partnerships and leases. And now that's really what the IRA has brought us is more is simplicity. It avoids having to get involved in some of the tough accounting and thorny accounting issues that traditional tax equity investing brought to the table. Um, so in terms of uh, our practice at Aon, uh, it, it's very exciting because there's many more things going on, and um, we've always viewed ourselves as the innovators of our industry. So it it positions us, I think, wonderfully to pivot and you know adapt to new technologies and, and new structures. I think we'll see transferability, but it's not going to be quite that simple because I think we're also going to see traditional tax equity investors using traditional structures and also taking advantage of transferability. So it's going to be many versions of how to do these deals that people hadn't contemplated before. Uh, in terms of what we do at Aon, ironically, in many respects, it's not that different. And, and I'll explain why. Um, I think when transferability first hit the hit the news wires, everybody was very excited, like, wow, you can just take a tax credit and sell it off and life will go on. And there's been a real recognition over the last few months that it's not quite that simple. There's still a buyer of a tax credit, much like a tax equity investor, who's going to be looking for protection from the seller, just as a tax equity investor looked for protection in an indemnity from a developer. And much of what we've done with, in, with tax credit insurance is support that protection, that indemnity. That's, that is still going to exist. So it's going to perhaps look a little different because it may be coming from a different party or aimed at a party a little further away from the transaction. But in many respects, it's a very similar drill for what we did pre-IRA and what we'll do after. Different issues, different structures, but but the same the same basic need. Um, maybe maybe help just to say a little bit more about how how we do help in these transactions, yeah, what yeah. aspects of them we, we do protect. So we tend to think of tax credit insurance in three basic buckets of risk. Uh, one is protecting the structure of the transaction. So ensuring the tax equity investor, whether it's through a partnership or a lease or now as a transferee, that that legal structure will be respected by the IRS. So the, the party intended to get the tax credit, whether it's through a partnership or through a, a transfer that's now possible or through direct pay is going to get what, what's promised to them. Uh, that's bucket number one. Uh, bucket number two is qualification for the credit. And that involves many things. It involves it's the right kind of equipment, the placed in service dates will be respected. The amount of the credit, which may be based on an appraisal, will be respected. Um, now, post-IRA, there's different adders for additional amounts of credit for um, being in an energy community, having domestic content, paying prevailing wages. 
And all those things are going to go into whether you qualify for the credit as intended. And we can we can ensure much as we've always done that 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 party will qualify for the tax credit. And then the third bucket of risk has to do with recapture. So for an investment tax credit for five years, uh, the taxpayer is at risk of losing that credit if a project is destroyed, if it's sold inappropriately, if, if the actual developer who owns the project, who controls it, sells it, that could cause recapture. If there's foreclosure, that could cause recapture. And we can also protect the buyer against those things as well. Uh, well, you uh, perfectly transitioned to my next question because I was going to ask about the recapture. Um, I guess what I'd heard uh, from the market that, um, you know, maybe a lot of the newer entrants may not be aware of recapture risk. And, um, you know, I guess the the point uh, that's out there is that, you know, as you've seen, uh, pointed out earlier, projects are bought and sold uh, with increasingly regularity. Um, and it's not only the 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 folks that take a project to, to to NTP and then sell it to get to the over the finish line. It's once ones that take it earlier than some that take it to NTP and then others take it to the finish line. So it could have multiple parties. Um, but there's like a, a much higher frequency of volume of deals um, from what I hear in, in recent years relative to, to prior to that. And so I, I kind of wanted to get your sense if you thought recapture risk would be uh, significant here or just more something that people have to be aware of could it could exist well no i think it's a very significant risk and and i think it's more than being aware of it particularly when we're going to be in a world where uh in the in the old days we'll call the old days pre-ira uh your tax equity investor was actually a partner in the owner of the project we're now going to have developers who are detached from that project and only only are going to know what they're told. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's a very prominent risk and it's something that uh, can be protected against, but it's gonna require uh, a buyer of a tax credit or someone on their behalf to understand who's involved. Uh, if a project, going back to your example, pre-NTP, it, it always depended when you got involved, right? Those projects that were sold pre-NTP uh, often they didn't get to tax equity or the tax credits just yet because the tax credits really aren't earned until the project is uh, at commercial operations and placed in service. So the, there's no tax credit then. It, we often would insure a project then or commit to the insurance because and have to shadow box what's coming down the road uh, and, and ultimately figure out a way to get that protection to the, the ultimate tax equity investor. But it, it, it was different in the sense that you knew who you were talking to. You knew who you were making a deal with. If they were going to transfer to someone else, uh, either the insurers or their insured had approval rights on whether that party was acceptable. The more we get into transfers and parties who aren't part of that discussion, uh, that the risk, I think, gets heightened. Great. Thanks for that. Um, so... Let's talk about uh, shift gears over to, to direct pay for a second here. Um, again, I think people had hoped uh, for the initial build back better. They might have gotten full direct pay rights, but um, once um, 
the IRA passed, they learned that it would be only some, not all, that would be able to tap into direct pay. Um, perhaps you can uh, talk about um, direct pay itself and who's really going to benefit from that provision of uh, the IRA. Yeah. Yeah, and and one thing you know, with with all these structures, whether it's direct pay or um, just transferability, one thing that has to be kept in mind is that only relates to the tax credit itself. There are other benefits that investors get from investing in these projects, whether it's depreciation or cash flow or uh, renewable energy credits, RECs. So when you the first thing that comes up is when you just do a transfer of direct pay, you don't get all the benefits. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing structures where people are, you know, incorporating direct pay with other things and other structures. So you're capturing all those benefits. But, you know, like transferability, I think, uh, and it's also the manufacturing credit, which you didn't mention, will, will I think, have direct pay opportunities. But it, But it's it's just quite not as simple as it's made made the sound, right? It sounds like, okay, you build something and the the treasury sends you money and that's really good. But it's not that simple because what really has to happen is you have to build the project, file a tax return, and then you get the money at some point in time in the future. So where tax equity traditionally has been a source of development capital, direct pay comes at the end of the process. So- so we're already seeing concepts like bridge loans how, how, covering that span of time and bridge lenders looking for protection that that tax credit will be there. Yeah. So it's so it's, you know, so again, it sounds really good. <laughs> and and we're also seeing structures where people are trying to incorporate not for profits or Native American tribes in their yeah. structure to get a direct pay. But that requires jumping through a number of legal hoops, which again brings you back to, do you need tax credit insurance to protect that that structure will be respected? Yeah, it was more the Native American tribes yeah. I kind of expected, especially out in the Southwest, to be first movers on this kind of thing. They've obviously had a long vaunted history of involving themselves in things like casino ownership. And I kind of... Right expected them you know with all the land they sit on again land's key out in the southwest that they would be uh, movers on this but i don't think we've seen obvious examples quite yet other than the fact that we we know it's coming at some point i i agree and i think it will come and it's a great opportunity the other thing that is out there with direct pay is recapture what happens when that project gets destroyed or or sold and so yes it's an interesting different way of doing this but it doesn't remove all these same issues got it um well just um drawing upon uh your role you know at aon and what you guys do you obviously get uh pretty much a a front row seat as to project finance itself in terms of the volumes and everything and um you know we at npm cover a very complicated universe today in the u.s um where we can talk about pre-development a lot. Um, the actual execution of the project in 2023, meaning taking it to completion, um, past an interconnect agreement is is difficult today because of um, a very very slow and sluggish queues, um, a uh, supply chain issues that continue to persist in some 
parts of the U.S. Not everybody's doing a deal with for solar to, to get their modules supplied for two or three years. But there's a lot of things that that come up that you know may, becoming a utility scale developer, you know, it's almost like a bal the balance sheet has to be king here uh, because of so many complications that arise uh, in developing these projects. But nevertheless, um, you know, we got to report what we see in front of us. So. Um, what, what's your sense on project finance volumes this year and how might it comp relative to last year and, and why? Yeah. And, 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 and another thing that's out there too, which I think is figuring into this is the lack of IRS guidance. And I think that yeah. has a lot, a lot of people of sitting on their hands. So, you know, it, I mean, this has been, I mean, we, you know, we deal actively in the the, the corporate M&A world as well, and, you know, which is down the last couple of years from exploding, well, doing like two years in one year during 2021. And the, the renewables and infrastructure part of our world has, you know, been pretty consistently busy. Uh, but what I'm sensing now is there's, you know, on one hand, huge excitement that of what's coming from the IRA and this 10-year runway that's been given but yet the 2023 projects are kind of all committed <laughs> and people are really working on projects for 24 and after. So while everyone I think has a sense of explosion and busyness, they're still battling all the issues you just men mentioned and the uh, lack of IRS guidance in some cases. So it's, it's kind of a little muted at the moment, even though everyone feels very good about it. Uh, any sense on when uh, you're hearing the guidance is going to come, the full guidance? Uh, I, well, I've been at two conferences over the last two weeks, um, and the IRS is insane. Um, but but I but I will say because we've been able to work on some deals that um, even though the regulatory guidance isn't out there, they've been strong enough based on the wording of the statute um, for people to move forward. So there is some transferability happening. There is some uh, tax equity closings being done on, on projects that um, feel like they're in sound enough position without waiting for the regulatory guidance. So it's definitely holding up many people, but we've been able to um, help out in some situations where the parties, you know, are not waiting. Okay. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the, to answer your question, hopefully the guidance will be out in the next, you know, in the next quarter. I think that's what people are hoping yeah, if you could just address the changes that you'll have to make when doing due diligence for a tax equity partnership versus the counterparties involved in tax transferability. Right. So I, I think the, the way the way I think about this is, uh, you know, when, and particularly when we, you know, introduce insurers to a transaction, uh, that there's another party uh, thinking about due diligence. Uh, one way or the other, the, the heavy lifting and that hard work has to be done by somebody. Uh, the, the, t the tax equity traditionally did you know, very significant work uh, to make sure uh, their investment was uh, being done on a sound footing. Uh, the buyer of a credit uh, will be a step removed, but on some basis will need to bring that same approach to it. And, and the the question is whether they'll be in a position to do it, which may, which will also be very much impacted by how big a credit it is. Like if you're just buying, and, and that's a whole part of the market that 
probably will develop how to do small credits. And whatever you could transfer, you know, a $500,000 credit, you're not going to go do $100,000 of due diligence. But someone's doing the work and it's the developer is going to be doing the work and have advisors. The investor may be doing it. Uh, I think as transferability takes hold, you may see emerging a third party who comes in and diligences projects on behalf of transferees. So somehow somewhat a third party who may be in the past, and maybe it's you know, one of the law firms uh, in the past, they would have worked on behalf of a tax equity investor, now may be working on behalf of a broader group of transferees who are a bit disconnected. Um, or you may see a situation where insurers come in and, and provide that blanket protection. They're going to do that. They'll do that work or someone will do it on their behalf. So I, I think what changes is not the degree of work because there's still a lot of things that need to check out, whether it's the structure or qualifying for these adders or just the traditional nuts and bolts. But I think what changes is who does it and who's in a position to rely on who's doing it. Great. Well, that's all the, the time we have today. Gary, thank you for taking your time today. Much appreciated. Uh, please uh, tune in next time. Uh, work out. My pleasure. Thank you.